Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, helping higher education marketing leaders share knowledge about learning, strategies, and tactics that are relevant today. See what you can learn today by listening to one of our episodes. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, hosted by Concept3D. Concept3D helps bring your campus to life virtually. We've served the higher education community for over a decade with our award-winning interactive maps and virtual tours. Improve your campus communications, student engagement, and recruitment with our powerful location-based virtual solutions. My name is Shiro, and I will be your host today. I'm currently the Director of Demand Generation at Concept3D, and I'm speaking from my home in Silverthorne, Colorado, which is a small mountain town about an hour west of Denver. And today, I'm super excited to have DJ Menifee join us today. He is currently the Vice President for Enrollment at Susquehanna University. DJ has years of plethora and a plethora of experience in admissions and enrollment. He's also really passionate about leadership, which we'll go into a little more detail today. DJ, thanks for joining us. Not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Concept3D. I look forward to uh, the conversation. Um, and I also look forward to just hopefully sharing some tidbits or some diamonds in the rough that uh, the audience can hold on to and, and implement into their day-to-day. Awesome. And where are you joining us uh, from today as well? Yeah, so I'm joining you live from my office uh, at Susquehanna University uh, cool. in the admission. So coming straight from uh, the campus community. Um, and again, looking forward to engage in conversation about topics that are near and dear to my heart and as well as to our division and institution's heart as well. Awesome. That's, that's great. Can you start us off with one fact and then tell us a little bit more about your role as well? Gotcha. So if I was to share a interesting uh, outlandish fact, it would be that growing up, I had the pleasure of playing against LeBron James probably three to four times a year from maybe sixth grade to uh, sophomore year, which was the last time we played each other in the national tournament, which would have been, uh, or I'm sorry, freshman year, which would have been in uh, Bristol uh, on both sides, Virginia and in Tennessee. So that would be my, my fun fact. Um, and then, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. So I had no idea. It's kind of, <laughs> That's so cool. When you, when you play like a game of, uh, tell two truths and a, and a lie. I, I tend to use that as one of the pieces in there. And, and oftentimes people assume that that's not accurate, but um, it's a, a huge part of my upbringing. Uh, I love athletics growing up. Wow. Um, it has definitely shaped my perspective and how I contribute to the world today. So it wouldn't be who I am today without it. That's amazing. I had no idea. I can't believe we didn't cover that in <laughs> the last intro, but that's, that's freaking amazing. Well, I can't tell you everything. I got to I got to keep some things, you know, as a mystery and then kind of provide them as surprises. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, you got me. You definitely surprised me. (laughs) Gotcha. And what was it? What was the other question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just I'd love to more learn more a little bit about your role as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I've uh, been blessed to to serve as a vice president for enrollment at Susquehanna uh, since May 1 of 2020. And within the context of my role, it requires me or challenges me to be the chief enrollment officer to support uh, all things enrollment, not only from strategy, but thinking about new enrollment and supporting things as far as returning enrollment. So retention and persistence. 
Uh, I oversee the admissions team as well as the student financial service team. Um, and so that is the, the broader umbrella, not only in the sense of the recruiting function um, and the admission function, but also thinking about the financial aid function, the student account function, the financial aid policy function, um, and then obviously the ways in which we collaborate and support uh, the broader campus community. And then also my role allows me to uh, support the senior leadership level conversation as well as one of the senior leaders that reports to the president. Uh, and so being able to engage at you know the thousand foot level with my uh, senior colleagues across campus to challenge ourselves to help move the institution forward um, in, in a positive way, in a thoughtful and strategic way, while always keeping uh, students at the center. That's amazing. I know you mentioned leadership just now. I know you've, you know, quickly moved up uh, just, you know, looking at your past history. It's really impressive. And I was wondering if you could share any tips within leadership in higher ed. Uh, maybe it's specific to enrollment admissions, but I'd love to learn more about that. Gotcha. Well, I'm, as I'm thinking about the, the tips that I would reference or a recent article I may reference, I, I think that the the tidbits of, that I would share would, would maybe go across careers, go across uh, areas of interest um, outside of higher education uh, as well. Uh, but the first piece I would do is, is just reference a recent article by the National Association for College Admissions Counseling CEO, Angel Perez. Uh, he, he had a, a leadership piece that was uh, included inside higher ed uh, within the last 24 to 48 hours. Um, and it's a, a great read, quick read, but it hit on some key aspects that I would want to share with the audience today in thinking about uh, how to conserve your energy and thinking through in any leadership role. It is, it is a marathon, it is not a sprint. Um, thinking about making decisions with intent, so being intentional and thoughtful about how you approach decisions and always thinking about asking the why as you're trying to inform your decision making uh, or your team's decision making. Um, and then one of the other key pieces that stood out to me within the article was uh, uh, knowing when to say no, right? Um, as, as you kind of move into larger capacities and have more responsibility uh, to contribute to the success of an organization. Um, sometimes you are, are measured by what you are selective in taking on uh, so that you can give your full energy uh, and, and time to. And so those are things that I would share just from the article and would encourage the, the listeners or the those that are attending uh, when it is live to, to go check it out. The other things that I kind of thought through, one is, is this notion of whether you call it remaining curious, um, whether you call it remaining inquisitive, or just creating space for life learning. Um, as we transition into leadership capacities, we haven't made it yet. Like it doesn't mean like we're perfect and we're good to go. Um, mm -hmm. And plus the world, whether you're thinking about higher education by itself or just the world around us is ever changing, ever evolving, and there's always uncertainty around the corner. So just creating space for that creativity, for that inquisitiveness and for life learning. Uh, the other I would say is developing your emotional intelligence. And I think that is about how do you engage and, and read people? How do you engage and read people within the context of a space? And how do you read situations? Um, and I think that building that capacity, building that muscle from an emotional intelligence perspective uh, can support leaders and how they navigate the one-to-one -one and folks that they're leading and supervising, how they navigate situations where they're overseeing broader sets of teams or organizations, um, but also in, in navigating certain situations and just being able to read the room and read the temperature and get a sense of how people are reacting to what's happening. Um, 
the third, I would say, is developing and creating space for your people. Um, the folks you're responsible for leading, um, guiding, or maybe you're just simply there in that instance to remove barriers so that they can be great, uh, right? And so always thinking critically about um, making sure you're putting your, your people in position to be successful. There's a lot of survey assessments out there that uh, when you think about uh, great colleges to work for, one of the questions within the context of the survey is, is not only knowing exactly what you need to do and are you, do you understand the direction that your team or your organization is heading in, mm -hmm. but also uh, do you have the resources that you need to be successful and are there any barriers in the, in the way? And so thinking through that. And the last one I would say is, you know, oftentimes there's that balance between do I continue to sharpen my strengths, like the things that I'm amazing at uh, or I'm great at, um, or do I put a lot of energy into the things that are areas of opportunity? I won't call them weaknesses, but I'll call them areas of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would say continue to sharpen your strengths um, and spend time shaping your areas of opportunity. Um, you, you don't necessarily need to be as great in your areas of opportunity as you are in your strengths, but it is helpful for you to be competent enough in those areas to contribute, um, as well as being mindful of who's around you because you may have people around you that you collaborate with or you're responsible for leading that may uh, indeed be a, an expert or have a strength in that area that, that can support you and align with you to, to move things forward. So those would be the tidbits I would share under the guise of leadership. Got it. I think both your first and third point really resonated with me. I'm currently in a newer position of leadership as well. And focus and prioritization is something I struggle with literally every day. Uh, saying no to things, I think, is one tactic you mentioned. It's it's super difficult, you know, and it I, I feel like I do have shiny object syndrome sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, it's really hard to focus and prioritize what, you know, what needs to come first. Do you have an example, like, you know, in your past work or something maybe you're working on today where you've had to make that decision and picking one or the other in, in terms of what comes next? Sure. So in, in the sense of focus and prioritization, the example I would use is a daily one. I often make my uh, agenda of to do's the, the evening before um, or the day before. So before I leave work, I often have laid out, OK, these are the things I need to focus on tomorrow mm -hmm. and making space for the what ifs um, in between the meeting times of, of things that may be scheduled but truly prioritizing, like this either, these are the things that are priorities tomorrow and this is how I wanna allocate my time. In terms of kind of maybe a long-term gaze and not being uh, caught up with the, the new shiny object or the shining light of the new initiative that is being shared or proposed is we have a, a, a strategic enrollment plan that aligns with the university strategic plan through 2026. And so what guides me is, is is the new shiny object initiative partnership, does it align with the direction we're headed in under the key initiatives towards uh, total enrollment, towards transfer enrollment, towards international enrollment and diversifying those markets, or towards diversity, equity, and inclusion and in increasing our uh, student body from a, a BIPOC student perspective? Does it fit in those categories? Um, and then does it help us enhance the ways in which we engage and communicate with students through our enrollment communications efforts? And so that in itself is one of the guiding bodies that kind of guides my work. A teammate can come up with something exciting and if it fits within that, I wanna have further conversation with them about it, consider resource allocation for it and empower them to move forward with it. If it does not fit within that framework, 
then it likely is something that we may say, well, that may be a great idea, but in the context of the direction we're headed in right now, mm -hmm. um, we're not going to allocate resources towards that in this moment because it doesn't align with our priorities. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're planning ahead of time really sets the tone for what you're able to say yes and no to ahead of time so you don't have to be in a situation where you're making having to make decisions and think about things on the spot yeah yeah and i would i would say lastly when you think about decision making right um it's it's important to understand who is ultimately responsible for making the decision <laughs> and then if you and your position, you're the person who has the authority in that instance to confirm and finalize the decision. It's thinking through, if you're engaging others to get their perspective and you're bringing other voices to the table, how do you help them ascertain what is up for discussion, debate, what you are open to as far as perspective and feedback, how far along the journey are you in making a decision? Mm -hmm. And are you making a collaborative one uh, or are you just getting perspective and then you're going to finalize the decision? And so I think as those things are happening, it's important to have a sense of that because it's also helpful for the people that are around you and they'll get a sense of how you, um, over time, are consistent in making decisions. Got it. I think your last point is something I don't really think about a lot, which is uh, you said areas of opportunity, right, versus areas of strength. Like how do you – how do you come into that position and like understand like i guess i need i'm trying to understand like how do you come into that position and understand how much time to give to both like you know or or being i guess vulnerable to saying like here, here are things i'm not good at like how does that work at the leadership level you know i, I can think of it in terms of like sports really well like i play tennis and my backhand is really bad but so like often I'll just go with my strength, which is my forehand. Um, and I just, I'm trying to think of how that works in the leadership position. It's not something I really think about too much. Gotcha. Well, well one of the things I think that's interesting about leadership, and I'll say this before I maybe give a, an example is sometimes people think that you got into leadership because you're an expert in everything that you're responsible for. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and there are other instances which in many ways a little bit more um, realistic and accurate is sometimes you are good at certain things and then leadership opportunities are presented to you. But in those leadership opportunities, there are often things that you are now going to be responsible for mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily have the background in, um, right? So you can look at it through that lens. Alternatively, I think it's about how we are, are um, wired Maybe that's the, the better way that I would say it. So our institution uses Gallup strengths um, and you do the strength assessment and then you see what your top strengths are across a continuum of 30 plus, but you also have a sense of, of where there's some areas of opportunity or where you're not as strong. And from a senior leadership team perspective, our whole senior leadership team can see each other's strengths. Um, and then thinking through that in the ways in which you're collaborating with other people that can be a helpful resource, right? Mm. Um, and then it also challenges you to be humble and transparent, right? I may know that um, strategy and execution and learning and responsibility are in my top five. I know that. Um, and I think it's pretty clear in how I navigate work and how I collaborate with others that it's easily something that they can perceive. Relationship 
um, and and different forms of communication for me may be at the latter end, right? And so owning that um, and then thinking through how do I shape that and how do I pay it close enough attention so that I am spending enough time so that the people that I work more closely with understand that I do value them as people, I do value the relationship that I have with them, even though it may not be a strength. Um, and how do I demonstrate that I am improving or seeking to improve on how I observe, how I listen, uh, which is a part of communication, in addition to checking in on things like from a leader perspective, if I'm casting a vision, am I checking that it's clear to others? Do they clearly understand the direction we're headed in and why? If I am working with somebody and asking them to take on a project, do they clearly understand the purpose of the project, the timing of the project, the budget for the project, the deadline for the project? Um, and if they will be leading it on their own, if they'll have some support from me or from others. And so I think those are the ways in which I would, I would look at it in that way. Um, the example that I would give is, you know, in some instances, people who emerge into vice president from enrollment roles, they can come from all walks of life. Um, but in some ways, they come from admission um, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Well, that means that you haven't necessarily had the same level of understanding and skill set and experience in financial aid or student accounts or financial aid policy. Um, you may have had some exposure to it, but it's not at the same level of understanding how to build a recruitment plan. It's not at the same okay. level of understanding how to develop a holistic application review process. Um, it's not the same thing as understanding how to build a plan so you can follow up and properly engage students in the market. Those things are, are come a little bit more commonplace and you've had a lot of time to build the experience in those areas. And so then you say, okay, well, how do I demonstrate that and be very transparent with my student, uh, my AVP for student financial services in areas that I don't have the background in, in areas that I don't have the expertise in? Um, how can I leverage his skill set? How can I step back so he can step forward in areas that I'm clearly knowing that I don't, but also be very clear for him and to him and others that this is something that is in my development plan. I do intend to continue to build my understanding and knowledge, not only on financial aid, aid leveraging and scholarships, grants, but also in understanding financial aid policy, um, understanding institutional eligibility, that over time I am building those foundations to shape my experiences in that area. Though I will never necessarily, I may not ever get to a point where I'm at the level of expertise as a subject matter expert that mm -hmm. he is and my colleagues in student financial services are. Got it. So kind of what, what I'm hearing, just repeating back what I'm hearing is being very transparent and communicating, you know, your strengths and opportunities, or areas for opportunity, but also be, you know, willing to learn and develop those areas of opportunities. And that helps build that trust that, you know, you're working on it. You're trying to improve it, but you're asking for help. Yeah. Got if it. you think about the piece I just shared that, that ties back into not only the notion of remaining curious, inquisitive, and creating space for life learning, um, it goes back to the sharpening strengths and, and shaping areas of opportunity. Um, but it also, I think, leans into the notion of the emotional intelligence piece, because it's not just for others. It's also about how you show up in a space. And then it's also the notion of creating space for your people, right? Mm -hmm. I'm creating space for others to show their expertise in areas that may not be mine. Um, and in leadership roles, we don't need the light. Um, we don't always need the recognition, right? Allow our people to get the proper recognition and support that they deserve as well. That's amazing. That's super insightful. I can 
literally to write, I know we work in different industries, you know, slightly different industries, but I can definitely apply some of all that into my day to day, which is super helpful. Thank you. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit. I know. So we had one conversation before this and, you know, I was like, Hey, what should we talk about? What are you passionate about? And I think you mentioned 20 things. <laughs> so I said, DJ, let's, let's create a series. Let's do 10 episodes. Uh, <laughs> and see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I, I thought one thing that really resonated with me, um, and what's time, what I believe is timely is, you know, the impact of COVID on marginalized communities and, what, what do you think schools can do uh, to mitigate that and, and to reach some of their DEI goals or any of their inclusivity goals? I know that COVID just had a big impact on that, and we talked about this a little before. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was in thinking through that, right, um, and, and asking the question, what can schools do? I want to be mindful of that that I want to speak from the lens in which I have experience, and so I don't want to pretend to speak from a secondary school or mm -hmm. primary school because I don't have that expertise, I don't have that experience, um, and I know there's amazing colleagues in that space that can contribute to that conversation. Um, but I tried to look through it through, okay, well, what, what example would I use? So if you're thinking about um, students who are in secondary school or in high school or considering college or at least in position to have college uh, be their next step, um, it's how do you connect with secondary school partners or community-based organization partners that still may be in positions where they don't have the, the bandwidth, they don't have the resource, um, the areas that they're in still may have challenge with being in person um, and there's created challenges with the virtual elements of the world. Um, how do we provide our support in the form of outreach to support uh, essay writing prep and coaching? How do we step in and provide support for FAFSA completion and, and processing uh, workshops to contribute and support uh, those conversations? Um, when you're also thinking about students in the prospective student phase, um, how do you initially consider what initiatives align with your institutional mission, right? Because mission kind of should in many ways drive what you consider, what you do, and, and how you organize yourself as an institution um, in support of um, access orientation towards marginalized communities or the cross sections of marginalization. And so when you think about some of the hot topics in our space now, one example would be, um, I think the buzzword is flipped admissions um, practices, right? So instead of the traditional process of a student saying, hey, I want to apply to Concept 3D University, so I'm going to go through the formal application process through their individual app, the coalition app, the common app, um, or an alternative, mm -hmm. it's how does the institution come to them in a specific platform or space that says it, it presents that you meet our criteria, we're coming to you to extend an offer of admission and then we can uh, navigate the relationship that way. And so, you know, Concourse Global is a tool that comes up uh, for international students. Uh, Greenlight Match is a, a tool or a strategy or initiative that comes out through um, colleagues over at EAB. Um, and there are other organizations that are piloting some version of a direct admission or flipped admission tool and process um, to, to change the space, but also to be a little bit more accessible than in their current environment. Um, and then I would also say thinking about alternative outreach methods based on the different identifiers that you may have for your student population in those cross sections. You know, data would suggest that fastest completion is down, so you shouldn't expect new student enrollment to be up. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And so thinking through that, you know, what cross-sections of populations are you seeing in your own institutional data that could mm. you could contribute to providing some additional support to, um, even if they're not coming to your school, right? but you can provide them support to still see higher education as an opportunity um, for them. And then the last piece I would maybe reference is, you know, if you're talking about those that are currently enrolled or plan to enroll, what is your institution doing to be welcoming? Um, to be inclusive um, and to support and welcome diversity um, in a way that gets to the point where those students uh, or those folks that have marginal identities would would say, I feel like I belong, right? And mm -hmm. so you can't do belonging first because there's a process to that, right? I need to get to somewhere and feel a sense of I'm welcome and then through that, I'm navigating experiences and I'm like, okay, they, they seem to be striving towards inclusive practices, right? And now you've got, I felt welcome, I see inclusive practices. And through all those things, I can potentially get to a point where I feel like I belong. Um, and so what is your institution doing within that space to make sure you're measuring, assessing that thing on a frequent basis, whether it's um, campus climate surveys, whether you're looking at data from, um, the, the National uh, um, Student Survey Assessment, um, or NESI in the sense of, okay, like the students are saying this about their level of engagement, their level of feeling like they're included in the campus community. And I, and I may have messed up what the, the NESI acronym uh, actually spells out, so you may have to course correct that one later. But nonetheless, those are the pieces where you think about what you can do. And if they've withdrawn, um, you know, hopefully institutions have re-enrollment strategies where they can support a successful return, not only for retention, but also towards retention, so that, that that student, however they identify, can be in position to earn a credential um, and can potentially just transform their life um, from a social mobility perspective. Got it. I, I had one question that I thought of is, you know, do you think the tools uh, that are available now, you know, today versus a few years ago, better support DI practice or do you think it's it's gone against it like what what are your thoughts there um from from the space in which i i participate in um, mm -hmm. i'm mindful that across higher ed there are it's different positions of chief uh equity inclusion officers that that do this for this is what they do or they're passionate about it this is their career I don't want to act as though I can speak from that position or from that space. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is, is I think the resources continue to expand. Um, I think what is uh, available to communities um, in the sense of resources and tools continue to be easily accessible or more accessible. But I also think that there's the human side of the process. Um, and as human beings, regardless of where we fall on the cultural, uh, intercultural continuum mm -hmm. um, and our ability to navigate difference, there has to be an ownership of navigating the experiences to build our understanding, um, to develop and broaden our capacities, and then not to just take a course, not to just take an assessment uh, but to truly start thinking through how does this show up in my day-to-day -day work with those that I get a chance to engage with 
and instances where they may come from a background that's different from mine, where we may differ on political views, religious views, whatever it may be, how do we start to implement these things to be able to successfully navigate and engage um, across difference? Um, and so I think there's the two pieces. You can have as many tools uh, and as many resources as you want, but if, if the other part isn't there and willing to step up and contribute and participate and develop and grow and challenge their own perspective, beliefs, and background, then it, it's still going to be a long journey. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that helped me understand a little bit more. Appreciate that. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up just around uh, just around now. But um, I was wondering if I so if I maybe tweeted this recording to LeBron James, do you think there's a chance you'll listen to it? <laughs> you know, given uh, how long it's been, there's a good chance he probably wouldn't remember it. Uh, and it's interesting. I remember when um, his movie came out I know, uh, about his kind of career, his high school career before he transitioned to NBA. Um, I want to say it's called Love of the Game. Mm -hmm. I remember being super excited to see that because I knew the journey it was going to take and was very hopeful that my team would have had some uh, inclusion uh, in uh, the film given how frequent we uh, played against them and we were not. Um, but, but nonetheless, I do remember one of the scenes in the movie is when uh, as an eighth grader, they went to the national uh, championship at the national tournament. It was at uh, Disney World of Sports in Florida. Um, mm -hmm. And we were there in the stands. Obviously, we had lost a little earlier in the tournament, but we were there to, to see the game. And so uh, I don't think that he remember me. Uh, he's had a lot of other experiences since then. Right. Uh, and played a little bit better, or should I say a lot of better of competition since then as well. So I doubt it, but it would be very interesting if he did. That's amazing. Well, maybe I'll still try and tag him and see what happens. <laughs> Hopefully. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great insight and great conversation. I personally learned a lot about leadership. So that's huge for me, selfishly. I was wondering if uh, you had a, a LinkedIn profile or a website you'd like to share with our listeners. Sure. I I mean, if you're on LinkedIn and you use LinkedIn, uh, happy to connect with you. Uh, just search DJ Menifee and, and, uh, and happily connect with you that way. Uh, I also want to make sure that I thank you uh, for the opportunity and also thank Concept3D for this opportunity as well. Again, I'm hopeful that there is something within the message um, that resonates with folks that they can implement in their day to day and that can support them in their journeys as well. Thank you so much, DJ. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you so 